Welcome to Podcast, the show that puts the positive in podcasting. Our program is created by and for people living with HIV, and we're here to explore HIV research in ways that matter. We're Podcast, and we're bringing HIV research to life. Today, you'll hear the views and ideas of our Podcast guests. And while we respect their expertise, they do not speak on behalf of the Ontario HIV Treatment Network or Universities Without Walls. I'm your host, James Watson, a person living with HIV and a community-based research coordinator. I'll be your guide for today's journey into HIV research. Have you heard about GIPA? GIPA stands for the Greater Involvement of People Living with HIV, and it's a set of principles that highlights engagement, equity, and social justice. And it came about from a sort of nothing about us without us kind of activism. The GIPA principles were ratified in 2006 by 192 countries as part of the UN's Declaration of Commitment on HIV and AIDS. The benefits of this activism and formal declaration are wide ranging, but today I'd like to focus on GIPA in the workplace. Our ongoing commitment to GIPA has put people living with HIV at the center of the movement and paved the way for HIV lived experience to be acknowledged as expertise. For clients of AIDS and allied organizations to become employees and for the researched to become researchers. I owe my career to the activists who fought for the principles behind GIPA, for our right to meaningfully engage in the research, discussions and decision-making that affects our lives. The GIPA principles inherent to community-based research opened the doors for me to get back to work after 10 years on government supports. I was hired in part as a peer research associate because being HIV positive was a mandatory condition of employment. And then again as a research coordinator because my HIV status connected me deeper to the work and to the community. So thank you, GIPA. And thanks to all of you who got us here. But there are challenges. For instance, what supports need to be in place to promote meaningful and fair engagement of people living with HIV once they're hired? Should HIV be treated any differently from any other illness in the workplace? Can GIPA hold its ground against competing priorities in a sector squeezed for resources? Implementing GIPA is complicated and takes commitment and time and of course money. To discuss all these issues and more, I spoke with two people passionate about GIPA who are living with HIV and work in the sector. I'm also fortunate to be working closely with both our guests on a project called Project Peer, a study that looks into how people living with HIV and working in the Canadian HIV sector are being supported and how the GIPA principles are being put into practice. Marvelous Munchenji, is a program coordinator for health promotion and skills development, a project for African and Caribbean women living with HIV at the Women's Health and Women's Hands Community Health Centre in Toronto, and principal investigator of Project Peer. Andre Saranto is a Project Peer co-investigator and the manager of community programs, volunteers and peers at Fife House, an organization that provides affordable supportive housing and support services for people living with HIV in Toronto. Let's chat first with Marvelous, a tireless HIV advocate and educator and ridiculously busy, so I'm thrilled she made the time to drop by to see us. Diagnosed with HIV 22 years ago, 
She has spent the last 17 years in the HIV movement. I'm a great admirer of her work. When you started out mm -hmm. in Canada, yeah. were you working at an AIDS service organization? I don't work within an AIDS service organization. I work for a community health organization, right. but I'm in charge of the HIV department. So I'm the one who does case management. Uh, I also run um, health promotion and skills development groups. I also accompany clients to court or for, to ODSP and things like that. Right. So your hiring policies at your agency where you work, do they, are they representative of GIPA, do you think? Not really, because right now I'm the only one. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. the only one who's open about my status. <laughs> right. But when I got already in the position, I they knew already that I was HIV positive. But uh, they were accommodating that from the beginning. Maybe it differs with me, I'm vocal. Right. I'm out, and right. I've been already, when I joined the organization, I was already out with my status. So I actually knew exactly where I wanted my accommodations. So that's an interesting tension, right? I yeah. mean, whether you're, if you're not out about your status, yeah. then you're not, you can't be accommodated. Yeah. So do you encourage people then to be out about their status? Not really, because there's also repercussions for being open with your status. Maybe it might not end there. Right. But like, for example, the same that happens in universities. I, I was a dryerson. I, I was in the accommodation department. The, the, the instructor didn't have to know that I'm HIV positive. Right. I just went to say, um, I've got a, my doctor just wrote that she's got an episodic disease, that she needs accommodation. Right. So GIPA, being the greater involvement of people living with HIV or meaningful involvement of people living with HIV, mm -hmm. how do you make room for, for, for people living with HIV if they haven't disclosed? So um, depending, it goes back again to the position. Maybe you don't have to call that position a peer support worker. You can find innovative ways right. or a health promoter or something. Because when you, when you are saying this one is a peer support worker within an HIV program, already they are known as if they are HIV positive, whether they are or they are not. So maybe finding ways of naming the role, but also knowing that the person, when you advertise the job, even if you say it is open, if you have HIV, you are considered more, people might not know until the person, unless if the person is open about their status. But it, sometimes it takes a time for mm -hmm. people to feel, to want to sense the environment within the organization. If they are accepted or not, right. then they can open up. But I've known people who've worked within agencies, um, they are providers, but they don't disclose their HIV because they felt unsafe. How did you approach getting support and accommodation for yourself? So for me, uh, when I started, I was on a contract. My position was funded by the Trillium. So I didn't have vacation days. I didn't have sick days when I started. I had a few, if I can remember, a few days, but my vacation days were not, I was contract. So it was for one year. So I didn't even, I was on ODSP because I wasn't covered by Green Shield. And then we had to advocate to say, uh, I need accommodation. Sometimes I can't be still on ODSP. I have to report every day, I have to, every month and all those things. And then we look, they looked for more funding and we got funding from the AIDS Bureau. But that time also when I was a contract, it was not easy for me if I'm sick to go home. Because if you are working as a contract, you've got certain hours. 
and I didn't have as much uh, um, sick days. So we we discussed uh, we discussed as a group uh, as women's health. We brought it to the board, and we didn't bring it just to address me as a person living with HIV. We just took it as any other person who come who have also an episodic disease should be accommodated. So we came up with um bank leave banks. So like my sick days, if someone doesn't use their sick days, you can bank them. Uh and anyone else can borrow from from that bank. For example, if I have only five days left, but then I get very sick, I need 15 days. If you haven't used your days, you bank them. You just tell the resources. I'm banking five of my days. That the person banks, so anyone can have access to that. Can I have some of your days? <laughs> so it has been very helpful. So we, if you structure it in a way that it's only for HIV positive people, then people will be resistant. But if you look at it that anyone can have cancer and might need also accommodation, anyone can have diabetes, they might need accommodation. Then there's a more buy-in than just looking at, say, HIV. Most people then will say, what's so special about HIV? Let me ask you this, mm-hmm. if I could. So with advances in medicine and mm-hmm. science and uh, more and more people staying in work, mm-hmm. right? um, and HIV being recognized as a chronic, manageable mm-hmm. illness, mm-hmm. right, episodic, mm-hmm. um, ASO is being stripped of funding, mm-hmm. right? Um ASO is becoming more and more corporatized in a way. Mm-hmm. I wonder, is Jeepa dead? What's our rallying cry? It might be a little bit dead or half dead <laughs> because I'm trying to see if there's a scenario where you have to cut down jobs, people's jobs. Who is likely to be cut down? If I'm a, just a person who's working either informally or formally, but I don't have a degree or I do, someone perceives me as if I don't bring a certain expertise. Of course, I'll be the first out of the door. And sometimes you're not told directly that's the reason you're going, they'll find ways. What's our jobs mostly as people live in HIV is that they're not even on the organogram. So maybe you are just there, you've been providing support, but if you look at the organogram of the organization, maybe you're not even there. Right. And then if you look, for example, most of us are being recruited as peer research associates. So then when you look at what the organization is doing and your role, you are mostly going to go. Unless if people invest in actually making sure that we are salaried. We've got a salary. We're just like any other employee. I'm not just paid as a volunteer. Then I feel safe. But if I don't, in some cases, some people don't even have contracts. Right. They don't, if you ask them, do you have a pay slip? They don't have pay slips. So unless if organizations, even if the funding is difficult to get and we know they're difficult to get, at least you can also contribute knowing that I want to, uh, to position myself that if funds go, if they look for other funding outside of the HIV, I'll still be able to, 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 to remain in the organization. But also what I would also... Um, argument to my friends who are also HIV positive is I, I didn't just come, like for me, I, I had to work hard also to go back to school. But it's not everyone who can manage to go back to school, but you can also build your skills and your capacity with their other programs that go on that are free. You don't have to pay anything if you can. If you cannot because of the disease or because of um, 
the condition that you have, then find ways of how else if this happens, have a plan. Right. To say if they, like, like now sometimes, what about if ODSP stops tomorrow? We are told there's no ODSP. What am I going to do? How am I going to survive? So it's always having a plan B and find ways of how else can I sustain myself if if my volunteer job goes. You're listening to Podcast, a joint production of the Ontario HIV Treatment Network and Universities Without Walls. I next wanted to talk with Andre Saranto. Positive since 2005, Andre is an avid advocate for the greater and meaningful involvement of people living with HIV. He began as a client at an aid service organization, then a volunteer, and is now management at Fife House. He has been involved in many initiatives focused on JIPA, including co-chairing the JIPA MIPA Advisory Committee at Fife House. You, you've had a really interesting process, really, a transition, because you st- started uh, as a client at an aid service organization, right? You, yes. You, you then volunteered, and then you became staff. And then now your management. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, um, I wouldn't say only because Jipa Mipa, but I, I think Jipa Mipa had a, a very big role in all of that. So when I first started ACT, um, my job was around prevention for the Portuguese-speaking community in Toronto. And ACT being the AIDS community of Toronto. AIDS community of Toronto, yes. So it doesn't matter if you are positive or negative to do that job because mostly uh, I was doing prevention, but I was very passionate about the prevention work that I was doing because as somebody living with HIV, um, I always thought at the time that, you know, if I can teach people something and, and help to prevent one infection, uh, uh, then I would be happy about it. And I think... Yeah, if I wasn't HIV positive, maybe I would have a passion, but not dif- not at the same passion that I had. And then, you know, moving on in my career, uh, when I still at AIDS Committee of Toronto, I was working on the positive youth outreach, where I was working directly of uh, uh, direct- directly with uh, youth living with HIV. Then I could see. Uh, for myself, how working with other PHAs, how being involved in that work and knowing and, and having that exchange with other PHAs was was uh, uh, so fruitful for me uh, in terms of learning about other people's experience, experiences, but I also sharing my, my own experiences with other people. And then... You know, at PWA, where I got people, PWA, people living at people with AIDS Foundation. Uh, so where I got the job specific, specifically because it was a peer position. It was a, a job for that Jipa Mipa was embedded in the core of what the work that we had to do. So you got the role because you're a person living with HIV. Yes, yes. And why is that? Uh, because they need somebody with lived experiences to to engage engage with other people living with HIV, to train them, preparing them. So I was responsible for the Speakers Bureau and the post prevention uh, 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 program. So lived experiences um, or lived experience for that role 
it was like the main asset that they were looking for. And so, and so, why do you why do you think then that lived experience is so important in the HIV sector? Because I think only people living with HIV. Uh, and everybody in a very different way, I think, went through things in their lives that uh, other people that are not living with HIV, they will not understand. Um, so, and I think having that opportunity as a PAJ to voice that experiences and to help to guide uh, people that are not living with HIV in terms of how to provide services, how to change policies, I think makes the whole difference. I think, you know, quite sometimes people with the best of intentions trying to come up with programs uh, for PAJs that are uh, 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 sometimes proven to not be so effective because it didn't have PAJ, uh, people living with HIV input. Right. So do you think then that, okay, so we've arrived, JIPA is here, that we are fully sorted, or is there work to be done? Well, it's interesting because I think it's just the first step and that's where really the work starts because, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it's not that easy to engage PJs or to keep them, them engaged because they might have different uh, uh, interests because sometimes they feel frustrated because they, they vo their voice is not heard. So me, in my position currently, and as somebody uh, 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 living with HIV, every time I interact or I work with other PHAs, I can project myself and I can see myself in their position when they come with, you know, a, a wish or, or a complaint or, or a suggestion. I can imagine myself in that position. And then I think what I can do in my current, currently, uh, current role that I can uh, uh, make a difference or can uh, uh, make that person feel heard or feel valued, feel part of, of what we're trying to build. Uh, well, now that you're in a management position, you, you, have, you have certainly more power, right? So how do you plan on uh, making change with JIPA in your organization? So in my current job at Five House as a manager of community programs, volunteers and peers, a big part of my job is engage other uh, people living with HIV that we call peers at right. Five House, uh, which means that, uh, you know, we always had people living with HIV uh, contributing and participating in the organization, volunteer roles and other roles. But I think uh, from the past few years, uh, uh, to now, Five House has been very intentional in, in make sure that the people living with HIV are in the core of everything that we do. I want to thank my guests, Marvelous and Andre, for chatting with me about their experiences with JIPA and how it looks in the workplace. We heard today about some of the complexities when trying to implement the JIPA principles, and it seems clear to me that it's up to us to stay the course and push boundaries. We need to make sure that people living with HIV are at the center of the movement and at the center of the decision-making that affects our lives. I'm heartened to know that people like Marvelous and Andre are out front championing JIPA and working hard to adapt and advance the progress already made. 
Nothing about us without us still echoes loudly with me. What about you? I'm James Watson, signing off for podcast. Till next time.